Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and today a great chat I had with Pete Murray. Uh, Pete Murray is an amazing Australian singer-songwriter and all-round interesting bloke. I had this chat actually in person with Pete a few months ago now and we've been uh, sitting around on it waiting for news of some of his music to be released that we could coincide it with. And so there's been a little announcement. Uh, here we go. Pete Murray has announced his forthcoming EP, The Night, is set for release at March 26, 2021. Now, we're not hanging on to the episode until March 26, 2021, but it is actually available for pre-order now. So if you're a huge Pete Murray fan and you want to send him a little bit of support by pre-ordering his new EP, The Night, it was actually recorded in the studio where we recorded this interview, and I hope you're really going to like it. If you're a Patreon subscriber to Philosophy, you are getting this episode a day early and ad-free. And all year, of course, we have been running a little drive on our Patreon page to get above $5,000 in contributions per month, and that will allow us to have the finances to be able to do two episodes per week. This month, we actually got above 5000 and then we went immediately back below 5,000. It happens at the end of the month when basically people are charged for their subscriptions. So there can be a little boost. And then when people don't renew, it goes back again. So we had a little moment where we, podcast Mike and I were like, we better have a meeting. We better arrange some more interviews. We're going to have to put two episodes out per week from now on. We have not quite got there yet, but we are getting very close. And so I thank everybody who subscribes to the podcast and everybody who's been supporting it, patreon.com slash philosophy for as little as one US dollar per month. You can help us keep the lights on here at Philosophy HQ. It's not the only podcast I do, of course. Uh, there is Tofop that I do with Charlie, and we've been doing that for over 10 years now. There is Fofop, which is coming out weekly and regularly now. There was a great US election episode with Dave Anthony last week. There is a episode that was recorded the night of the American election when things were not looking so good with Justin Hamilton, which will come out on Tuesday. And of course, uh, Charlie and I have an AFL adjacent podcast called Two Guys, One Cup, which now that the AFL season is over, we will do just semi-regular episodes of until next AFL football season. So you can find all those podcasts at tofop.com. And of course, if you're in Australia, I have a TV show. It's on at the moment. It's called Gruen. And you can watch that on the ABC, 8.30 on a Wednesday night. Or you can watch it, of course, for free on ABC iView, uh, the catch-up service. And of course, we put up the longer episodes. The XL cuts all go up on ABC iView as well. So if you want to check those out, check the stuff that we cut out of the Wednesday night episode, then you can always do that. At ABC iView, if you're overseas, you can't legally watch it in Australia, but if you had a VPN and you sent it to Australia, you could probably just go to ABC iView and watch Gruen there as well. Anyway, uh, Pete Murray, really fantastic bloke, and uh, I really enjoyed this chat. I thought there was just so much in it, and I think if you're a Pete Murray fan, I hope there's going to be a lot in it for you, and maybe if you're not a Pete Murray fan, you're going to discover someone that you are going to follow and maybe go and check out his music as well. So uh, without any further ado, here is Pete Murray. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And uh, 
Well, face to face, this is pretty amazing. I will tell my guests uh, before I introduce my guests that this is the first face-to-face edition of this show that I've done in four months because, of course, we're living in a world of social isolation, so I've been recording them down the power of the World Wide Web, so it's quite nice to actually be in the same room, appropriately socially distanced with another person, but in the same room with somebody else. We've just done what you don't get to do over the internet, which is do a unofficial 30-minute episode of the show unrecorded, a chat between two people, all the good juicy stuff that you can't actually put on the podcast. But this is how the show normally starts. I ask the guests who they are. So who are you? Uh, well, firstly, uh, welcome to my studio, Will. Pete Murray. I'm Pete Murray, folks. And uh, I've invited Will to come down to my studio and have a little chat. Mate, I, firstly, can we talk about the studio? Because it's unreal is it one of those musician dreams to have your own studio is it i know even with my podcast the idea that i could have like a little podcast studio my own imaginary radio station that i could just go in well i do basically but it's just my office at home you're pretty much looking at my podcast studio and and it's impressive it's an impressive little studio that you carry with you yeah look it's great i mean you know this is i've always had um uh, a little studio. I think it's important for you as a musician to have something, you know. Uh, early days, um, you know, I was uh, had a deal with Sony, so Sony bought me a, a little uh, a little thing that I could take with me. We went over to um, London for about three months and, and lived there. Um, gosh, back in 2003, my son Charlie was just born. Sorry, 2004, I went over there. Charlie was born and he was um, three months old and I went away for um for three months so basically when six months i only knew him for half his life (laughs) so um but you know i had a little studio over there we just did some recording some demos and then uh, i could travel with that uh then i first moved to byron and and moved to a place called eureka which is a beautiful little area around this 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 spot uh and built my own studio again there um and then uh, moved again, moved down into into Byron, and I've uh, got uh, you know a good big warehouse here now, and have set up a studio in here. So it's just great to sort of have your own space that you can do your own thing and take as long as you want. So tell me about the environment of recording something, because I've always been fascinated yeah. by that. You know, you'll often hear about a, a band or an artist, you know, going to record in a legendary studio or going to live in a different country to put together an album or maybe, you know, that idea of they hire a coastal house yeah. and then they go and, you know, record the album down there. What What is the relationship between the circumstance where you're in, envi- the environment where you're recording something and the work that you're making? Uh, look, I think back in the day when when the studios existed and, and they were they were great. Like I recorded um, Feeler and See the Sun, my first two albums at Sing Sing Studios. <clears throat> Sing Sing was a fantastic studio in Melbourne. Um, and then I uh, went to Sunset Sound. Sunset Sound, I'm a big fan of The Doors. So The Doors recorded a lot of their albums at Sunset Sound. And... That was a goal for me to, to try and you know get over there one day and record at that studio. So um, you know, end up having uh, Tom Rothrock, who uh, producer who had worked with uh, Beck, uh, Badly Drawn Boy, and uh, went over to meet him and we went and had a look at. Well, I, I, talk, I spoke to him in, in LA and I said, look, he said, where do you want to record? And I'm thinking, really, I can like choose a studio with you? Where do, where do you, you know? He said, well, what, what do you want to do? So I said, I'd love to to go to sunset sound let's you know can we do that he said 
let's go there right now. So I was so excited to go down there that afternoon, check it out and have a look through. And there's a little room in there where it's quite famous to where Jim Morrison did his vocals. And um, to get the reverb, uh, obviously these days there's, you've got, you know, you don't need to step in a little room to get reverb anymore. But it was it was famous because that's where he, he was. And apparently uh, they still make the joke that you can still smell his bad breath in that room. So I don't he must have bad breath. I'm not sure. But um, so it was kind of good. But I went in there anyway and you checked it out. So that was exciting for me to go and to do an album over there. And, you know, but I always felt the pressure when you're in another studio, you know, that you knew the dollars were ticking away, you know, and you knew that you had to pay this back to the record label. And it was always a challenge to try and, I guess, get your money, um, you know, from sales to, to pay that back. So, uh, you know, once that happened, I, I got my own studio and I just felt that, you know, the money that I'm using now is going towards my space and I can kind of pay myself back for it. Um, so it works out to be better and I feel there's just less pressure to I can take my time and you know uh, it's a it's a nice relaxed environment in, in here and you know that's the best thing about I it I mean it is a very relaxed environment it yeah. feels like it's it, essentially having your own recording studio particularly the one that I've just walked in today feels like you've got the ultimate version of the man cave <laughs> basically you've dressed it up as part of your job yeah. but it does very much feel like you know it's it's the ultimate version of every man's shed out the back of their house it is. the only thing that I find embarrassing about this I've got my wards up the back, on the back wall but for a long time because I get embarrassed to just put them up it's just, that's just me but um, and this is just really for me a few other guys have come in but that they're the things that I actually get embarrassed about because I, I do wonder whether the, and only the few guys that have come in I do wonder whether they go it's a great studio but what a wanker this guy's got his awards, awards up on the back wall so well if, you, if you're going to have your awards anywhere I would have thought your recording studio yeah, is the place to do it and I do have my that's from my dad's bar there's a there's a half naked lady with the with the breasts out so but it's a very elegant painting it's an old yes it's a very old school artist yeah yeah so your dad has a bar or had a bar he had a bar yeah dad passed away at 47 had a heart attack yeah i was 18 at the time really yeah yeah so uh it was a shock for me when that (sighs) happened and it changed my um life dramatically really changed the way that i I approached life and what what I wanted to get out of life. Can we go, we talk about death a little bit on this podcast? Mm-hmm. Normally at the end, yeah, I've jumped in a bit we've early. We've jumped in early, and yeah. that's okay. Can we start yeah. there because that feels like a very pivotal moment in your life? What yeah. were you like at at eighteen? You know, what was your life looking like at that point, and how did the death, which I imagine was sudden, pretty sudden, death yeah, of your father affect yeah. that? Yeah, Dad had. Um, we uh, lived in Chinchilla small country town so dad had how small is chinchilla uh it's a mining town now so it had well it was a mining town it's kind of stopped again it it was about say three thousand people Mm. in that in that town um and dad i remember mum coming we had lunch one sunday and mum and dad came in and mum said oh your dad had a a pain in the chest today they went for a walk and um it was a weird feeling, you know. I remember I was sitting at one end of the table and Dad was at the other. And I remember looking at him and just this thought came over me that you're not going to be here much longer. It was a weird thing. And I tried to just brush it off. And um, I still remember it so clearly today, him sitting there when Mum said that. And I went, wow, that's just that's kind of freaked me out. Then he had another pain in the chest. And they went to the docs after that. And the, the doctors back then, I guess, um, said, look, have you been exercising, doing anything? Because they did an ECG. Nothing showed up, which it doesn't. Um 
and they just said, look, he said, yeah, I've been, I've been walking, been doing some weights because I had a weight set back then. I was mad into sport. And so dad was doing some, or trying to do some weights, you know, and uh, in the gym there. And um, they said, look, just ease off. Don't do that. So um, he didn't. Then on the, it was a, the Wednesday, he got another uh, serious pain in the chest. Went back again. They did an ECG. Nothing showed up. Um, the advice again was just take it easy. Don't don't um, overstress your body. And then um, he had a, another one at home um, and the same advice. And so mum and dad went, okay, we need to... Um, get some different advice. Yeah, yeah, let's get some different. So I was competing at the at the national titles for athletics at the time. Running. What was your speciality in athletics? 400 and 800. 800 was probably the one. I used to be a sprinter when I was younger. And then I had a Achilles um, tendon problem, so I kind of slowed me down. And unfortunately, I, I was kind of good at the 800, which I hated. Well, it's, it's one of the most punishing. Oh, it's, it's the 400 uh, and the 800 because yeah. they're still basically sprints. Oh, absolutely. They're long distance sprints. The good thing about the 400 is one lap. You know, you can get through that. It's it's hard. But the 800, it's tactical. And I, look, I love the race, to be honest. It was a really challenging thing to do. Um, and you you know you'd have to get yourself in the right position at the first lap, and you're exhausted, you know, and then you got one lap to go. So that's what I was competing at in at the the nationals, and we, we went down there. So mum and dad went and saw the doc on the Saturday. I think I'd run the um, I'd run the eight hundred um, and four hundred heats, and I'd run the final of the eight hundred that Saturday. And um, so they ducked, ducked off to see the doc that afternoon after the final and I was still at the athletics so I didn't I didn't go but um, we came back and we were staying at a friend's place uh, at Redland Bay in Brisbane and um, I uh, remember them telling me they went to saw, saw the doc and the doc straight away went look uh, I'm really concerned he um, did some tests there and they said look we're not picking anything up but this is really serious um, it's Saturday there's not much we can do for you until Monday but here's my home number I'm that, I'm that concerned about this that um, you call me straight away. If you have any other pains in the chest, you call me straight away. So 10.30 that night, had another pain in the chest. Um, so we called the doc. Um, he organized, he said, look, get an ambulance. And it was a hard thing for me because I remember once again thinking it was a bad feeling. I thought this is not good. And mum was shooting off with, uh, with dad. And I had one of my mates staying with me who was competing in the high jumps as well. High jump. And um, so... Uh, and it's the only time I'd never heard dad swear and um, it's the only time I heard him swear when the, the ambulance um, guy was there and he said um, he said look dad's in a lot of pain he'd been vomiting up blood and I'm sitting there watching this whole thing right in front of him and the and the ambo's there said look can you describe the pain dad's like it's really severe it's really it's really bad can you just can you, can you just how bad is it and dad's like it's it's really bad looking and he's still vomiting blood again and, the, and this guy's asking the third fourth time but how bad is it and dad's it's really fucking bad you know like, and i'd never heard him swear and i was like well this is serious you know and um so they just said let's let's get him out here straight away straight to the hospital and they took him down to the local hospital and um uh and i stayed mum said look you know don't come with us you stay here and um and I knew I just had a bad feeling, you know. Anyway, she went um, down, and then probably, oh, you know, 40, 40 minutes later, I got a call from the from the nurse saying, "Look, I'm sorry, your father's passed away." And just when you get that information, you know, like you, I'm, I was, I just couldn't couldn't comprehend it. 
had to wake my friend up because by that stage it was later and he was in bed and and I told him and you know he started crying but I couldn't cry <laughs> so I think the shock was there for me and I went in and saw mum at the hospital and, and then you know dad is there lying lying dead on the table so it's a real shock when you I mean any age is a shock when you see you, one of your parents you know die so but that for me was was unexpected um and it just yeah just rocked my world at that 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 stage so things changed you know for me after that I remember thinking um uh you know dad had worked he was 47 he'd worked his whole life um as a watchmaker jeweler had a good little business in chinchilla had just sold it and mum and him were about to go and have a holiday uh, around the traveling around australia and it bought the caravan and we're going to go and um semi-retire up the sunshine coast which i thought would be great because i could pop up there and see them you know so um and then he'd sold the business and worked for this other guy for 12 months and then this was december 12 so he'd finished he'd finished from this guy for two weeks and they were getting ready to go on the holiday and he had this heart attack and, and died and i was angry you know i remember being really upset about it thinking that's just so unfair because he'd been he was his chance to go and actually enjoy life now he'd worked hard for it um and it was taken from him so yeah it just really really Have you got rough. brothers and sisters i've got an older sister yeah. older sister okay yeah and so you're now older than your dad yeah that's yeah. right and so do, is that something that you think about in like in relation to I mean obviously every time that you go and you know, do a medical checkup they always ask you about your family yeah. history when it comes to things has it affected the way that you have thought about your life uh, I've been healthy I eat healthy you know dad was probably um, he smoked um, he didn't drink a lot but probably the diet wasn't the greatest back then excuse me um, and you know I think um so I've always been pretty mad about sport and, and keeping keeping fit and healthy, and um, so that made me even more determined to kind of keep that up and, and stay healthy. I've had my heart checked and everything's fine there, so you know, which is a good thing. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, I think it's definitely sometimes you get you know you ever get that little bit of a pain in your chest and it's like it feels like it's a heart attack but it's mm. just some sort of cramp. Yeah, <laughs> thinking I'm going, oh Jesus, is this is this my you know is this my time's not going away? Yeah. So there's that bit of a fear. And, you know, Dad's dad had a stroke as well. You know, so uh, you know the, it's there. I think I'm pretty good now, so I'm not too stressed about that. But you know, it's 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 in the back of your mind. So you talked about you know being passionate about sport when you were younger. Were you? at that stage 18 years old if you're competing at you know championships and these sort of things were you imagining that your life might be you know a sporting life yeah absolutely yeah music wasn't even in my life at that stage and what sport did you think that you were going to be because you also played like rugby or something yeah as well, rugby didn't yeah you? yeah so i did swimming athletics yeah. and rugby were my three sports okay. swimming was boring as hell because you're just swimming up and down mm-hmm. following a black line and i you know and especially training in Chinchilla with training in the morning, it was freezing cold, you know, like it, was, it wasn't fun, you know. So that was the first thing. When I finished school, that was gone. Uh, then I, But I still had this dream of either, you know, competing at the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games. And, and then rugby was, um, you know, I started to play, um, well, I played rugby at schools and um, played in a schoolboys team with Tim Horn and Jason Little and those like. So I played some, with some really great players, which was good fun. Uh, and so I still had a dream that possibly, you know, trying to play for Australia would be a ultimate goal as well. But I still had this dream with athletics that I wanted to pursue for a while. So I, I did that for a couple of years after school. Um, and then 
I kind of realized that I actually enjoyed a beer too much, and all the other uh, all the other eight hundred meter runners wouldn't drink. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay, so maybe this is not the sport that I should be doing. So I and all my mates are like, you know, come play, come play at the club, you know. And so I went down there. And I played a season of rugby, which was great because you know you'd, you'd have a very social. Yeah, and uh, you they're, they're fine with you having a drink. They were they were totally and they, was, <laughs> they were drinking more than me, so that was so I kind of felt like that's good. But after I did one season of uh, rugby, I went back and, and did athletics again, and um, I did the athletics, but I, just to see if I had the passion for it, and I just really didn't. But I was fit, so I came back into the rugby. And um, sevens sevens rugby was something that I started to get into, which was great because if you're fit, you know. You don't necessarily have to be the best footballer, but if you're fit, the other the rugby guys weren't that fit at that stage, you know. And yeah. um, so I came off and I was playing this sevens, and I was good at it because I could just keep going all game. And um, so you know, there'd be times like you got the stage where when the guys get tired, they just kick it away, and but no one would chase it. I'd just run through and pick it up and score the try. So I was like, this is easy. And there was a chance that um that I yeah, a good chance of. Uh, making the Australian side to go to the Hong Kong Sevens, which was kind of a bit of a stepping stone into the into the 15 side. So, um, and then I, I I injured my knee in a try in a in a um, competition uh, that we had one weekend. Um, but one of the guys, one of the selectors for the Australian side, said, "Look, um, Bob Templeton, who was the Australian Wallaby coach at that stage, he's one of the selectors, um, and uh, he's interested to to see you play. So we've got you in this team." to go in in a few weeks time we're going to have this competition and we'd like to see how you go because you're a chance of making this Aussie team and I thought look that's great you know I'll um if Bob's keen tell him to call me because I've got an injury and I but I'll if I don't hear from him I'm just going to fix this up and I won't waste my time so you know, I didn't get the call so I thought oh well I just I won't go so I I just stayed and fixed my knee and I was living with my sister at the time and she didn't know anything about rugby and um the, the competition had, you know, it was about a week over and I, um, my sister said to me, oh, you know, someone called for you the other day. And I'm like, oh, who's that? She, oh, um, some guy, Bob Templeton. I'm going, are you serious? You're joking, are you? She's like, no, he called. So Bob actually did call and I didn't get the message, so I didn't play. Um, and then, you know, so I missed that opportunity. At the end of the year, I uh, came back and I thought, let's you know, make a comeback and we'll see if I can get the knee good. And it was all fine. And I went and played in a competition here at Byron Bay, the Byron Bay Sevens, and um, snapped my anterior cruciate. So after that, that was kind of like the end of, end of my sport. And uh, it was a hard thing to take because sport was my life. And I was a, um, 20, 22 or something like that. So around the same time, I just started to pick up the guitar. And so, but I still didn't, music was kind of fun, but I didn't think that would be a career. So, and I was studying natural medicine. So for me, I was going down this path of, look, if I can't play sport, then I'm going to be working with sportsmen and women. That's what I want to do. Um, and things just kind of changed from there. You know, it's funny how life works out for you. So it's interesting to me, uh, like so much of this is interesting to me. So let's um, pick you know, a few bits at a time. But the first one is, they say that professional sports people, and obviously you didn't quite get to that level, yeah. but they say that professional sports people die twice. And it's a very trite thing to say in a way. And of course, they don't really mean it, but they have to mourn their sporting career when it finishes because it yeah. always finishes, you know, a long time before the rest of their life. Yeah. 
you've gone through the mourning of your actual father, like a genuine, you know, death. Like, mm. you know, I mean... For Which every- affected me for a, a good, probably good solid five years after that. I was right. really lost. So if you're 18 and you're, you know, that's, that's, you know, very front of mind for you is you're already mourning. Yep. And then within that same time frame, perhaps as you're getting towards, you know, the end, you're now mourning what's been your dream for the last four or five years. What was the state of your mind, you know, during that time? Yeah, it was a tough time because he didn't want to let that go. And I think it was just um, something that I um, had to come to terms with. And I remember... Um, probably the thing that helped me through was music because I had started to play this guitar and um, you know that was really enjoyable so I when did you start playing it what made you first pick up a guitar I had um, another interesting story I believe in fate Uh and a good friend you genuinely believe in fate I do yeah okay great so I um, I believe we still got choices to make but um, there's things that happen in our life that that you know, um, dictate where we're going, I guess, or help dictate. And so a friend of mine, Charlie, Charlie Clark, we became good mates. Uh, and I knew Charlie for, uh, for a few years and we loved, um, Neil Young, Led Zeppelin, Bob Dylan, the same sort of music. And he came into my room one day, he was studying teaching and I was doing the natural medicines. He just came into my room, a couple of students, you know, and, uh, he um, he was older than me too. He was at that stage. I must have been twenty-one, and he would have been um, thirty, I think, or, or thirty-one. And uh, he started teaching quite late. And um, his advice for me was: make sure that one year of your life you just bum around. And he said, "I took I took twelve months off, and I just did um, surfing up the Sunshine Coast. Didn't work. Just loved it. And I thought that was you know, that's good advice: just to enjoy your life." And um, anyway, then he started to get into teaching. I think he took more than one year off, to be honest. But <laughs> he, um, he got into teaching quite late. And he was loving that. And he was really enjoying it. Yeah. So, But he came into my room one day and he said, you know what? He's a really kind of jovial fella. I'm going to go get a guitar lesson. I've always wanted to do it. And I'm finally, I'm going to go and get some lessons. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I thought, I've never thought about that. But that sounds really cool, you know. Had uh, you played music at all in high school or anything like no, that? Music was not even on the radar at all you know um my mum and my sister played a little bit of uh piano at home but very little um but it just wasn't there you know i didn't care about it i mean i listened to it i didn't care about playing it until that moment and um i think that was the time i was still kind of lost and i was actually i didn't realize at the time but i was pretty depressed after dad's death i really struggled with that it was well you know i had there was some form of depression that i was going through so anyway um when he suggested that, it felt like something brand new. I thought, like, that sounds great, you know. So as it turns out, I went and had a couple of lessons, but he never did. But he got me going. About 12 months later, he passed away. He had, a, he had an aneurysm. So, you know, another good friend who was really close to me passed away. Um, and I was 20, 22 at that stage, I think. But I got the chance to, um, to call him one day because I didn't tell him that I, you know, had these lessons and I... Was, could actually play. It wasn't great, but I could string, you know, chords together and, and, and play a song. And we loved Neil Young. So Like a Hurricane was like one of the songs we loved. And I said, Charlie, come over to my place. So, you know, just let's catch up. I haven't seen you for ages. So he came over because we were living at the coast at the time. And he came back in Brisbane. So I got, uh, you know, we got around. I got the guitar out and um, just played this Neil Young song to him. And he was like, what the hell? You know, like, 
how good's that? You know, he was just buzzing and it was great to see him, you know, to, 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 and to play that because I said, you're the reason I started playing, mate. You know, this is because of you. And then, yeah, like about, seriously, three months later, he, he passed away. So I got the chance to sit down with him and play a song to him and, and, then, and then he was gone. So, you know, it was a, um, and I named my first boy Charlie after him. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a, all these things, you know, that happened through your life. And I believe that I was meant to meet him. I was, and, um, you know, he got me into playing the guitar and that's the reason why I'm doing it. Um, don't think that was his only reason for living, but, you know, it's probably one of the, one of the reasons. It's a, it must sometimes, like, I don't know, I, I, I'm projecting onto you, but I think yeah. sometimes I would have pangs of sadness. A, that my father, that my, my dad didn't get to see what I got to do. You know, he yeah. didn't get to see, you know, all that you've achieved and, you know, what you've been able to do with your life. And also there must be, you know, the great success that you've had and a lot of it, like you said, down to the fact that this guy decided he was going to have guitar lessons. Who know. knows yeah. what direction you... I mean, you might have found your way to it regardless, but who knows what direction. It's, it's a pity that he hasn't been able to stand in the... You know, front row of one of your shows, yeah, that's or you right. know, sit backstage at one of your gigs. Yeah, and that's that's life. You know, I guess you kind of um, that's how it works. As you get older, you realise that that's life. You know, life's life's it's not. Look, for those of us that have a normal upbringing, um, you kind of think that life's going to be perfect, and it's just going to work out really well. You're going to have, um, you know, you're going to get the job you want to do. You're going to play for Australia. You're going to run at the Olympics and the Commonwealth <laughs> Games, and you're going to do all these things. You're going to <laughs> You know, you're going to have um, whatever. At least it's going to fall in place. But it's not like that. You know, when, especially when Dad died, it was like, wow, that's just. It's almost like that's supposed to happen to everyone else. Mm. But when it's in your life, it's like, gee, that's tough. And then Charlie, it's like another good mate. It's like, gee, like what? And that, but that's life, you know. And you have to get over these things, and you have to move forward, and you have to believe that. I believe those guys are are watching me. I believe, okay, you know? so that's so. Let's talk about that a little. Yeah. So I always ask people on the show, uh, you know, what do you think happens? when you die so what is your you know thoughts around what what happens when people die yeah look i definitely believe there's a spiritual world um you know and um i i, I have a friend of mine who's a, who's a clairvoyant and i met her uh probably within the last or probably 10 years ago and um just remember going down and seeing her one time and the stuff that she was telling me like you you know that she doesn't know these things, you know. So they're, they're, you know that they're around. And um, she was describing my dad, like he's talking to her, you know, and Charlie as well. So it's, it's a bit weird for people to hear this, but if you if you believe in that and if you, you know, if you have experienced it, it's kind of a strange thing because you, I think you don't know what's going to happen after that. But then I remember talking, you know, when I spoke to her and then these things were happening, I'm going, okay, that's, that's there is something. I don't know what it is and I can't, <laughs> I can't explain what that is, but I know there's something. I know that, um, there's a spiritual world and, and, and they're around us when they when we want them to be or when they want to be I'm not sure how that works but so well I don't think anyone's sure of how no, that works, but I right. like to I like to hear what people think yeah. is, is more the point you know the, this show in a lot of ways is very much about the idea of I just like to know what everybody <laughs> believes I yeah. think it's really just important and interesting to hear that you know, a lot of people believe very different things. Absolutely, and, yeah, yeah, and, for sure. And the truth is, none of us know. No, you know, like exactly. Some people can make better educated guesses than others, are more qualified to make better educated guesses than others. But really, what this show is about is not about that. It's about me trying to get a sense of what it is that you believe. Well, well I was brought up as a Catholic, and the Catholic yeah. religion's pretty 
pretty full on. Yeah, they've got some rules. <laughs> they do have some rules. <laughs> but I remember, you know, once I finished um, uh, school, because I went to, um, mum was always getting us to go to church on the weekends. Mum still goes. And, you know, that's great that she does. And I went to, uh, to Nudgee College for grade 11 and 12, boarding school. So there we had to do, you know, Catholic school, we had to go to church every Sunday and do that. So when I left school, I still went to church a little bit, but that dwindled, you know, and I kind of started to just, I don't know, I didn't really believe everything that, was, that I'd been taught. And I think even less when, you know, I spoke to my good friend Ellie, who um, the clairvoyant friend, it just went all out the window. And I went, I just don't know how much truth's in the Catholic religion anymore, to be honest. So I believe that, you know, there's some sort of higher power. And I believe that when you die, you instantly you step out of this body and into the spiritual world. And I don't think there's, I don't have fear of dying. And I don't want to say that. I'll be very careful I'm saying that because, you know, you do hear people having interviews and they go, I don't, you know, I'm not worried about dying. And then they die soon after that. So I'm going to touch some wood again while I'm yep. telling you this and hit it a few times. <laughs> but I, I don't have the fear of it. I'm sure that, that when it faces me, I probably, w- there will be some fear there. But um, I know that, you know, there's something after, after this. So we've kind of jumped in the deep end straight away, which is <laughs> yeah, great. Right. I, I think partly because we had quite a deep conversation yeah, for half yeah. an hour before we started. So we, we've already got to the point where we've... But I, but I love this. And this is yeah. really what the show is about anyway. Yeah. So what when... You know, and again, touch as much wood as you need to touch. There's plenty <laughs> in your studio, luckily. So um, what is it that you hope people remember of you when you're gone? Um, you know, the thing that I think's uh, uh, amazing about music, and, and before I get into that, I, I've always been a very giving person, always kind of uh, have probably too much sometimes, you know. But with music, the amazing thing about it is the, and I didn't realise this when I first got into music, but the, um, the, the amount of people that you can help through, I guess, my songs lyrically, they are about going through hard times not all of them you know going back through hard times but knowing that you will get through this it's a kind of always about a positive thing as i said to you earlier i always try to turn a negative into a positive i don't like to be down or negative about too many things you know like so um it doesn't help you in life you just want to be kind of positive and keep moving forward so um you know this is something that uh music um it gives you a lot of joy when you help other people. It's just a, it's a, an amazing thing. And I've been involved in um, music therapy. A lady got me into music therapy. She said there was um, music therapy for people who don't know about it. Is uh, there's um, guys that go into into hospitals and they they help people with terminal illnesses write songs so they express their emotions. And it's really positive for the people who are who are you know uh, on the way out. And I've been in there and, and I've done that. Uh, and it's great the, the the joy you can give people in in that time, you know, um, raising money for other things for charities. There's all sorts of good things that you can do for music. So, look, I don't know to be remembered. Um, I would like people to, uh, you know, be be happy, listen to the music, and I guess uh, you know, bring bring people happiness. It's interesting, isn't it, with music in particular, it, that you're writing it in a time and place. So you, the artist, you're creating it in a time and place, but. 
you release it out into the world. And the truth of it is, I know that, you know, someone you liked was Nick Drake, right? Yeah, yeah. And you, th you think about the kind of rediscovery of Nick Drake, you know, post Nick Drake's life, yeah. really. And that Nick Drake really will never know, you know, what his music came to mean to a whole bunch of people and how widely it was discovered and how much it influenced a whole generation of artists. Yeah. You, you don't actually know once it's released. You know, 50 years from now, somebody goes, I want to go and record in Pete Murray's studio, which still exists. They've, they've kept yeah. it as a shrine yeah. to your life here in <laughs> yeah. Byron Bay. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> love it. I love, uh, I love where you're taking this. This is great. <laughs> but, you know, in the same way as you wanted to go and record yeah, you know, no, exactly. at a studio because of yeah. the history of it, yeah. you actually don't have any sense of what your music will mean to not just the audience who consumes it, but the artists in the future, what it means at a later stage. Yeah. It is one of the most incredible things about creating a piece of art is yeah. once you've released it, it's almost not yours anymore. Well, look, I always say yeah, music has its own life. Once you release it, then it's it's off into the world and it, you don't know where it's going to end up. And you don't, especially now with uh, streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. I mean, it's... Um, it can be anywhere around the world. You, if you get on a playlist, then suddenly it can be big in Turkey. I mean, who knows? It's just kind of, that's what music is now. So and for a long time for me, you know, I'd been signed to, signed to uh, Sony, uh, an international deal. So the Aussie guys have been fantastic for me. The international guys haven't been that interested. You know, and that's just what happens with mm. international deals. That can happen. I think they've got their own artists over there that, that they're more interested in so for me I haven't had a lot of success overseas and a few parts I have but that's been probably a frustrating thing for me so these days now um, there's no reason why the music can't work overseas or can't just sort of spread and there's so many people from overseas that you know we that we're hearing from now going we've never heard about you before like you know this is you got great music we love it um, and you know like I'm 50 now so they're only just discovering it now uh, and that's it. And like you say, we'll just continue to do that. Well, particularly in these times when you can't really perform much live, you know, yeah, no. it's a, a very interesting time, you know, the current, yeah. you know, time that we're in. How has the uh, lockdown period been for you? How has, how have you, has your life changed much during a global pandemic? I mean, you do live in a community that at the best of times is, you know, uh, has a, a alternative sort of look at the way lifestyles are lived. So absolutely, has yeah. it been much of a, a difference for you? No, you know, it's not, hasn't changed too much for me. Um, obviously, uh, having the kids home was a bit of a change because they were there a lot longer. But, you know, um, music, you know, you go away and you tour and then you come home and you'll be home for a while and that's what the beauty is. You're at home for a long time and that's great. And then you go again. That's the hard thing is being away from family. But all my music mates that I'm talking to um, are loving the fact that we've just been at home and there's no shows on. We're missing playing, uh, as you do as a music. You love playing live and that's what we miss. But it's been fantastic to be at home. Seriously, and, and, and in this area too, like, you know, Byron um, is great. It was fantastic to see this place empty mm. and you could we could go to the beach and, you know, it's actually really nice. I've got it's to like say the old that. days. Like the old days, yeah. yeah. A lot of the old locals were saying this is what it was like mm. in the 70s, 60s and 70s. And um, so it was a great place. We were taking the, the kids down to the beach um, a certain time of the day and come back. Probably in the mornings we'd get the, the schoolwork done for the boys and then we'd go and do things, you know, and... And Sachi, who's two and a half, she loves getting out. And so we've got to try and get her out as much as we can and wear her out because she just rules the house too. She's like, 
she's a force to reckon with that one. So we've got to try and wear her out as best we can. Uh, but it, look, it's honestly, it's been a, a really nice thing. And I think it makes you, and a lot of people have probably worked this out now too, since we've had a lot of time off, is that what is important in life? Because you've all worked really hard and you kind of lose focus. And I'm guilty of it too. Like I'm always talking about, you know, you, you want to get through your life and not have many, not many regrets. There's always something there, but you want to be positive. But And living in the moments is the thing that is the best thing that we should do, you know, because you, I think, I don't know if it's just men, but men seem to stress a lot more about work and where the money's coming from and what's happening. So we tend to, to think about those things and what we've got to, we've got to provide for the family. And I've been guilty of it too when I'm not living in the moment. I'll be sitting at the dinner table and the kids are all laughing and laughing with Mira and Sachi. And I'll be sitting there thinking about, okay, well, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And the stress of what you're trying to get done. And then suddenly you'll realize, hang on, I'm not even in this conversation. And that's the thing that I think COVID's been a bit of an opener for everyone to go, hang on, what are we doing? And what's important now? And just seeing things change for that that period when everything was just down, you know, the, um, the smog, different like, you know, just in, in the cities, the things have just changed. So it's been a really positive thing for a lot of people to see. It would probably go back to normal again, of course, but, you know, with... Well, let me ask you about that then, mm-hmm. because there is a part of me that hopes that, you know, we learn some really great lessons out of this. You know, yeah. the importance of a safety net. You know, so many more people have needed a safety net, and yeah. I hope it gives us some insight to the fact that, you know, for a lot of people, their lives, jobs, you know, all these things went completely off the rails because of something that was beyond their control. Exactly. I have a you know, theory, well, a hope, that it might give people the insight to when you see that person who's fallen on hard times, maybe it wasn't their fault either. I think we can be very judgmental of people who are going through hard experiences and maybe this will give us some level of empathy. That's my hope. Do you think that that's the case or do you imagine that we're just going to go back to living life how it was before all this happened? I... I love your thoughts on that and I think it's great and I and I agree with you. I would like, I would hope that's what's going to happen, but I don't know. You know, once we start to get back into our own lives again, things go back to normal and we'll forget. And it seems to happen, you know, the history repeats itself, doesn't it? There's crises come and happen, wars happen and things, people change and then it just goes back to normal again. And so, look, my guess is it'll probably just go back to normal. <laughs> No. Sorry. That's a, no, it's okay. Yeah. Everybody said that. Every time I bring it up, right, I was okay, like, yeah, no, no, it's just going to yeah. go back to normal. Uh, there are too many structures set up in our society that demand yeah. us going back to, you know, but what we perceive as being normal. It's true, but not everyone's going to do that. No. That's the, then that's the beauty of it because there are lots of people that I'm, that I'm bumping into now and they're all going, look, you know, we don't, how's, how good is Zoom now? We don't have to go and, you know, have these meetings face to face. I know just as an artist, you know, when you release a new song, we just put a new song out a few weeks ago. So, Normally, I would be Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, you know, Darwin, wherever you're going to do radio. And you've got to be in face-to-face. You've got to be there. Uh, no, you don't. No, you, know? you definitely don't. So, no. And this time has yeah. certainly shown that you exactly. definitely don't. So that's one uh, great thing. But I think just the family time is the biggest thing that is so important to people's lives, especially um working dads. I think I just you just have those guys that you just meet that just – they just work the whole time. You know, I had a situation where I had a legal battle a little while ago, um, just, you know, something I was doing. I won't go into it, but the barrister that I had there, my barrister, and I was talking to him and we started to talk about life, you know, and my life since my dad died, 
at 18, I guess has been, you know, I, um, I work to live. I don't live to work. So that's the thing for me. I, I want to have time. Uh, I don't necessarily need to be the wealthiest person in the world or the most powerful. I just want time so that I don't have to go and I'm not living by the clock and I'm not getting, you know, um, hourly pay checks. That's the thing. I, I did that years ago. And I remember sitting on a train in Brisbane. I was working at a gym. I had to get up at like five in the morning to be there and open up at six. And it was still a good job. But I remember thinking, what can I do that's going to get me out of this where I don't have to... I'm not, I've got to be here at this time and that time. And, you know, I didn't know what that was. But I guess when you think about those things and that's where you start setting some goals for yourself, you can you can change that around. So um, I just went off, what was I just talking about before? I well, yeah, I, I, talking can, about, can I, you're barrister and the idea sorry. of working to live versus living to work. Yeah, so I, I had a chat to him and, and we started to talk and he, um, his daughters, I said, how old are your daughters? And he said that, 20 and 21 and I said you know for me it's been great because I've had time to be with my kids my kids now um, uh, now Charlie's 16 um, Pedro's 13 Sachi's two and a half but I've had time with the kids I've been home I've been able to take them to the to the park and play to take them for a surf and I do that and then I go on my work and I come back again I've got that time again so I'm super close to the kids and as I was telling him this he just started crying this is about before he's about to go and battle for me too, which I don't know was a good thing, you know. So he started crying. He said, you've hit a nerve here. He said, I've, I have worked my whole life and I've, I get up at seven in the morning, I come back at nine o'clock at night and I've missed most of my daughter's life. And he said, I'm going I'm to make that change now. And it's interesting because a lot of guys do that. Yeah, and you're like, well, just deal with my thing first just because i hired you because you're the sort of guy right. who could ignore his family exactly. and really concentrate stop on me. crying right yeah. now and toughen up yeah, yeah. i need you but yeah. as soon as this is done go you know what go yeah, surfing go yeah surfing. get your kids in a caravan yeah, sure but care. let's deal that's with this first yeah, yeah and give me a discount <laughs> yeah uh, so, so i ask people on this podcast if they have a philosophy and a couple we've touched on a bunch of things already along mm-hmm. the way but do you have a, a philosophy a life philosophy of some kind well as i said before i think yeah. you know you um uh, you work to live, don't live to work, you know, and that's the thing that I kind of stuck to years ago. And um, someone said it to me, and it was not long after Dad died, and I went, "That's a really important way of looking at your life and doing that." And I think that um, because look, I don't know how we've changed and what this was years and years ago. If we go back, you know, go back way back, you know, before the whole system of money was involved, and you know, you would have been. Things were so different, you know. And I look at, uh, say, someone over in I don't know Bali, for example, someone that doesn't have much money, and the, you know the kids are just playing with sticks and stones, but they're happy. And sometimes our kids here, oh, my phone's not working, and I'm really upset. Oh, why does this always happen to me? Oh, I'm going, what, what is happening? You know, to us because we're brought up this way to to think that you've got to, you've got to get a job, and you've got to go and well, you've got to go and study go through school study you got to get a job and then you're going to be in that job for the next 40 years and then you're going to get a you know get, get where we're going to live for retirement we're going to work that out and you're living way past you know in the future rather than in the moment and that's the biggest thing i think you got to be in the moment because you're missing life and like i said i'm guilty of that too but i have to keep bringing myself back to go we're here now this is the only this right now is the only time it's important i mean whatever happens down the track is is going to happen and you can plan for it but don't stress about it and just live in the moment 
So the current situation in the world has revealed how ridiculous. I mean, there's that famous saying about, you know, want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? Yeah. And... I, this feels like what we're going through right now. All these things that people had planned, it turns out, oh, it turns out you can't do any of these things. Exactly. Turns out you had all these great plans and none of them exist anymore because, you know, there's something beyond everybody's control that happens. Yep. So I, I think about you and I, we've been lucky that to be shut down now, to be told that we can't do things right now, mm. it, I mean, for me in some ways, you know, apart from the, you know, the big picture stuff, which is how the fuck am I going to pay my bills? You know, stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, those ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the smaller picture, yep. the idea that, you know, I've been in the same place. I live in this really beautiful part of the world. You know, the idea of being told to stay at home when the place that you call home is so beautiful and relaxed mm. and wonderful. Mm. And you have this opportunity to, you know, I've, I've spent more time, like I've never spent in a row this much time with my partner because normally, you know, yeah. I'll be getting on a plane to go somewhere to tell jokes to strangers. And yeah, it's right. it, you know, all these aspects of it have been incredibly wonderful. But then I think about kids who are 16. I think about kids who are 13, you know, they're, they're about to go into the world. They're about mm. to become their own people. Yeah. And, you know, see what the world has in it for them, you know, not as kids, but as adults. And so how how do you speak to them about the world, I guess, is my question, because obviously, A, we're going through something pretty, you know, full on at the moment. But yeah. also there's the, you know, other things that they're clearly going to have to face in the you know, the next yep. 20 or 30 years around the environment and, you know, related things to how quickly climate change is affecting, yeah. you know, the world that they're living in. How do you speak to these younger people about the world that they're about to go into and what their lives are going to be like? Well, it probably like us, you know, when, you, when you're younger, you're learning from the older generation, aren't you? And they're going to learn from us and, and all the mistakes that we're making and, and the positive things that we're doing as well. So I think making the kids aware of um, positive and negative things. I always talk to my boys about um, Charlie, for example, has uh, got offered a, a spot to go to, to the UK in an academy for soccer, but doesn't want to do it. So I'm sit, sitting down with him going, okay, look, you're going to get one chance at this. And if you pass it, you won't, get, it won't come back. So I want you to write down the positives and the negatives of all this. What, what are you, what are you going to, benefits from it and if you don't go what are the positives you know what are the negatives and so he's he's had to do that um obviously he's coming into his mates uh, you know so he's got lots of things to think about and i think any kid that's coming through it's always a good thing to go what are the positives and what are the negatives on everything that you're doing as you're growing up with life you know with um in the environment and you can see these things that are happening so as long as they're able to to work out what that is which most people can and be strong enough to stand up for, for their own beliefs then I think they'll be okay and you know kids have got to learn they're just like us we just you step into the role and you kind of that's what you can do and you can't over parent you know you've got to let the let the kids do it themselves guide them you know but let them make the decisions it's uh, you are a positives and negatives person yourself. Is that your process? If you're deciding how to do something, are you, yeah, are you the well, sort of person who'll write a couple of lists? Uh, I'm a Libran. Okay, so Libran is scales. Yeah, drives me crazy. You know, it's really hard for me to make up my mind, but I will all the time go. 
there's a positive for that one and there's a negative for that and there's a positive. That's good. And that would be, if that happened, then this would go down. You know, and I do my head in because I'm constantly doing that, you know. So, but I'll take longer to make a decision probably than than most other people. So, but I, in the end, I make the right decision. Um, I, I feel most cases I, ha- I have done that. So, and it's just taking your time to do that. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I work. How do you come back from mistakes? I'm always interested in this. I mean, like you can't get to your stage of life you know yep. without having made some blues along the way as well how have you handled when you have made a choice and it hasn't worked out or you've made a mistake around something are you okay in that situation i try not to dwell on it too long i think that's the thing if you once you start getting stuck on it and you can't move forward then you just you're not going to move forward so you know that's the thing um it is what it is and it's once again it's making those right decisions taking your time to 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 um to do it right and you know trusting your gut is the biggest thing in life I think that you know and I've known when I haven't trusted my gut feeling and I've gone against it it's always failed it's always been a mistake so and or trusting when someone else talks you into something and you, you, you know and it's not right you know so I'd imagine definitely in a music career at least from my observations of it it seems to be a constant battle between you know well it can be not always obviously but you know between you know what a record company might want or what a publicist might want or what somebody else might see as the vision for you versus the vision that you see for yourself that's the whole management of um of uh art i guess what what you're doing and and you're going to be put in that situation um it's a tough one, you know, and it's just, it's how it happens. You know, I think I've become a lot better at it these days. You, you're older, you, you know what, what happens, you know what you should say, what you shouldn't say. Um, so, uh, you know, um, like I explained to you before, I did a friend, did a podcast with a friend and I just openly sort of blurted out a lot of stuff that I shouldn't. I didn't think he was going to put it up there. And he did and I'm like, oh, hang on a second, let's take that down. So you learn, you just got to be careful what you say and... Um, decisions for music it's changed too because I think credibility is a big thing in music that you you really want to have your credibility I think for me I'd like to have my credibility you know through my career you want people to look back and go guy's really great sort of didn't didn't uh, falter on what he did didn't go back and didn't do anything sort of cheesy you know and not a cheese ball didn't try too hard to get success he didn't sort of sell out you know it's difficult these days because you do um, I remember when I first started, there was the competitions that were coming through, like the Idol and shows like that. But this was before Idol. There was some other competition, and I had people, I was you know independent artist, had friends going, you should go on the show, you should do this because it's a competition. I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Some reason, it was for me, it's more important to, to do it the hard way and to try and get there yourself because people have way more respect for you uh, if you can do that. Uh, not that I'm giving anyone a hard time about going on a competition but I noticed that a lot of those competitions they're short-lived you know you got guys that can come through and do really well but for me that's kind of where I'm at and that's what I like to do uh you know and that's where you stick to your guns and what you do and I think that's hopefully um at the end of your career you you know you feel good about it um what is it with the core principle of you as an artist do you think like what is it you talk about the idea of 
you know, being true to yourself and you talk about the idea of like not selling out on what it is you believe in, but what is it that you believe in? I mean, when you, not in a PR sense, yeah, like, you yeah. know, we've, if people have made it, you know, 50 minutes in, we can tell them some honest <laughs> yeah, shit yeah. at this point, I think. Yeah. Like, what is it when you as an artist, you know, a creative artist, sit down to express something? What, what do you think is at the core of what, what you do? Uh, lyrical content is probably a big thing for me, what you sing about. Um, I don't really get into too many songs that are, you know, yes, sir, she's my baby, no, sir, I don't mean maybe, the kind of like throwaway stuff. I try to kind of have something that's that's got um, interesting lyrics for someone that, that they can get uh, a feeling from, you know, and it's happened in the past. I had, um, um, I tell a story, I was played a show in Rockhampton one time and we, we, um, we, we finished, um, we went out for a drink with the band and we're sitting there in this, big hand came on my shoulder and and I sort of looked around it was this big security guard and I kind of turned around and thought oh god like you know someone in the band probably the drummer or, you know <laughs> has done something stupid and we're about in to Rockhampton yeah we're about to be turfed out and I turned around this guy had tears coming down his face and, and he said mate you saved my life uh, you know a year ago I was struggling all these things bad things happened to me and he, I, I just wanted to end my life and I listened to one song one song got me through that Better Days it was a song he played in the morning and through the day and at night time and for about six months or so I think he listened to this song and it got him through because it was just about you know going through hard times knowing that when you do go through hard times you'll be much stronger for it and you can help your friends so and he was it got him through that you know there's no greater compliment in the world when someone says your music has saved their life so I think something like that is is great you know um rather than someone going hey that song, I just danced my ass off all night. It was so good, you know. I mean, for me, mm. I don't get too I don't get too much out of that. But it's like if if the song touches someone and it brings them back to a certain point in time in their life that they they feel something special about that, you know, it makes them feel great. Um, then that's a really good thing. So credibility is, um, is the sound of the music that I do. It's the lyrics, and I've got to enjoy it. You know, like I don't want to put a song out there that that would go hey this is going to be a smash hit number one if you do this i couldn't do it you know because it's not me and that's the thing you've you got to be true to yourself and i couldn't put something out there that's not really me um because then you you live with it forever and it's out there forever and sometimes people will think well that's what you do um when it's not really you know so i think it's that's kind of what what it is to me. Is there a time in your life? And again, you don't. I, I'm not looking for specific dirt here. I'm more yeah. looking for a example of like some really terrible advice that you got that you didn't take. Like you know, so, like yeah. was there ever a time that you know, someone did the whole you know you've got to dress up in this sort of outfit or the you know you'd be better off if you were doing this sort of thing? Is there a good example of some terrible bit of advice you got over the years that you rejected? Uh, not that I can think of. Hey, I, nothing that's really stood out for me. I think I've kind of just, I just kind of cruised through. Yeah, people got scene. it. People got who you were. Did yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. And even from day one, you know, with the record label, when I came in to to do the album, um, you know, they they didn't think it was going to be a big hit either. You know, when we did Feeler, um, they liked the album. But I remember sitting down with them and they said, "Look, we've got a goal for this album. If we can sell twenty thousand copies." That's for the life of the project. That's great, and I was thinking twenty thousand. Gee, that's a lot, you know. But how, it, how many did it sell in the end? Oh, seven hundred thousand or whatever it was. You know, so was, they did fine. Yeah, they did fine. <laughs> so, and I think because that was the first album that I did, there was never any pressure for them yeah. to to um, 
to change me. I had right. one situation, Dennis Handel, I speak about um, with the greatest respect. You know, Dennis is a great mate of mine. He's the boss of Sony. And the only time that I had to sit down with him and we had a chat about um, Blue Sky Blue album, I think it was, and it was, um, he said, I don't, I don't hear any singles on here. And I said, well, I do. And he said, I think we should, you know, you should go and do some um, some co-writing and, and do some stuff. And I'd never written with anyone else before. It wasn't bad advice, but at that stage, I said, look, this album's done and I feel like it's great. And Dennis was like, I think you need to go and do some co-writing. I said, no, I don't want to do that. And he's like, I think you need to go and do that. I don't want to do that. And it was great. You know, we sat there for probably, uh, it was almost like we were playing psychological games with each other because he would he would sit there and not say anything for about 30, 40 seconds. And then I would not say anything for 30, 40 seconds. And then in the end, you know, he was fantastic because he said, look, he said, if that's what you feel and you really feel that way, then uh, Matt, I've um, got you back. I'm in your corner and we'll do that. And so I think to with a guy like him, he's um, he has a he has great respect for you if you can stand up for yourself and you, and you can be true to yourself as well. And we've always had a great uh, respect for each other. And that's the only time that he kind of thought that we should do something different. And after that, we had a great conversation and said, look, these are the songs I think are singles. What if we did this to change that with that? work for you and he went actually that's a great idea so it's a matter of kind of not just going no 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 piss off I'm not going to do that because you're working with someone you know and that's yeah. an important thing you've got to try and get a balance but as long as it works for you as the idea of saying you've identified what you see as a problem yeah your solution for the problem isn't the solution that I feel comfortable with yeah. but maybe there's another solution yeah. that I do feel comfortable that's with and you know we, we've been uh, like I said great mates for the whole time you know and and um, had a fantastic relationship and that's that was a great moment for us because I knew he was there for me and, and it was a good thing. What are you like at uh, receiving feedback in general? Like, are you if if someone is critical of your work, do you take it personally? You know, there was a time um, we had um, a lot of uh, success off you know. Um, the first two albums, you know, uh, Feeler and See the Sun. See the Sun had Opportunity and Better Days and Opportunity was like the most played song on commercial radio at that stage and uh, in, including international acts. It was, it was a big, big song. And so we got to the um, the uh, the third album and, and, and I remember it just seemed like I was kind of waiting for the negative press. It had been really good, you know, and it was just all about the, re- the reviews were like, uh, you know, Pete Murray does mid-tempo songs and this will be a hit but you know this blah 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 whatever and I just wanna, no one's actually talking about anything about the songs right. or the production or the quality of the mix or whatever it's just nothing about that it was just kind of about he does this and it'll be a you know and it was kind of a little bit negative and I at that point I went you know what I'm this is when I stopped reading reviews and, that, and I, when I went to myself everyone's entitled to their own opinion and you know what I have no right being upset about what people say about me because that's their opinion right and it's it's not I don't care you know that's just what it is and they're entitled to not like it that's just what it is so I kind of went that's it don't read reviews again um, I, yeah, I do occasionally if there's a negative one I kind of have a bit of a chuckle about it it doesn't affect me people that you know I don't tend to get too many negative things on socials you occasionally have someone saying it but once again it's like look it's your opinion that's fine you know and really it's got nothing to do with me it's, it's not it's not my opinion it's yours and you're entitled to it yeah, I mean, part of putting out something that people love is that you're also going to put out something that people hate. That's right. Yeah. Like you can't make you can't no. have people love something without. Of course. You, if you're trying to inspire a 
big reaction in somebody, yep. you've got to be aware that that big reaction could also be in the complete opposite direction to the one that you're trying and to And that's go for. true, you know, because someone that it is that's really successful, they experience that a lot. They'll experience a lot of uh, a lot of love and a lot of hate. And it's just normal, you know, and that's the thing. That you look, it's like politics, you know. You're gonna have, Some people are going to love what you're doing and some people are going to hate what you're doing. You, you, people are different. And that's the beauty of of life. It's the beauty of people. It's the beauty of music and, and art and even politics to that matter, I guess. Not that I get into politics too much, but everyone's going to have their own opinion. And like you say, some people are going to love you to death and some people are just going to think that you're, you know, they're going <laughs> to... Hate, hate you is probably the, uh, an appropriate word because some people, without knowing you, they'll hate you because they don't like your music, and which I've always found a bit odd. But it's you know, it's just the way people deal with it. I uh, one very early on, I'm much better with it now. But very early on, I just you know, when you would get a message from somebody going like, "My mum hates you," and I'm like. Yeah. hates me <laughs> like she's never met me I know like, she hates me it's uh, such a it's, such a violent reaction is it like a person that you've never met but, before but it's funny because I guarantee if yeah. that mum that person's mum would meet you they'd go oh you know we'll actually you're a nice guy but yeah. they have this um, because they don't know you mm. They kind of go well. They've kind of they've worked you out already. Yes, and like also like they don't like my work. Therefore, they hate me. Yeah, and right. by the way, there are plenty of people I do the exact same thing about. You know, like yeah, there'll yeah, be yeah. somebody I watch on TV that I know nothing about who could yeah. be the nicest person in the yeah, world, but for tool. whatever reason, <laughs> yeah, that's I'm like, right. Oh, this dickhead. Yeah, this no, dickhead again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there are people that actually are dickheads too. Yeah, well, so, that's you know, also so, true. And I've met and I've thought that about some people. And I've met some people. And I'm going, yeah, you actually are a dickhead. Yeah, so. you got that one right. Yeah, that's. Right. What's your radar on people like? Are you a person who normally has a good sense of? Yeah, uh, no, I'm, I, because I'm kind of really, uh, I'm a very trusting person. Hey, I've kind of been burnt before off people that I, that I trust, and I think, oh yeah, they're good. I've had to learn over the years not to do, not to be so open, not to be so trusting, and not to um, just think everyone's going to do the right thing by you because a lot of people don't. They don't, you know, and um, so no, I've had to really work at that. Uh, because I I am uh, I just don't treat people bad. And for me, that's just my upbringing with my family. You know, mum and dad were nice people. You know, and then you're taught to respect elders. You respect people, uh, which I bring my boys up that way. So, um, so you know, I've had to had to be more wary of uh, of that situation or your people. Uh- I am aware that, you know, we're getting towards the end and I have some standard questions that I ask. I normally ask what happens when you die, but we covered that pretty early on <laughs> okay. in this one, so yeah, it's yeah. fine. Um, I am also going to ask you this, though, and we've touched on these things a little bit as well, but this is this can, these questions can be a little confronting because there's an easy way to answer them, which is what you say all the time, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a more honest way to answer them answer them however you want to answer mm-hmm. them but what what do you believe is your greatest strength what is it that is great about you and that you are great at uh, I'm I'm a real um, giver I really care about people probably too much and I give away a lot of uh, a lot of my time and a lot of money in the past I've kind of just with, with you know so called friends that have kind of asked for things and and I go, yeah, yeah, sure, you know, I'll, I'll give you that. And then suddenly you, you, you wouldn't get the money back. <laughs> and uh, certain things, like a friend one time said, look, you know, I've got, um, I need to replace the tires on my car. Can I, I've got no money. Can I, can I, can you give me 1500 bucks? Mm. And I kind of got the point where I'm going, hang on a second. You know what? 
you give me the invoice and I'll pay the invoice. Oh, no, no, just give me the cash and I'll go fix it up. No, 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 no. So there's, I'm kind of, you know, well, that would happen before I'd go, yeah, here's the money, sure. Just, yeah. And then I'd go, you know, that's, did you, you know, I've got, I've got good, some good stories, but I, I did, I loaned some money to someone to get a, a new car, a yeah. second-hand car one time, and it kind of went from, like, they just wanted, you know, a few grand. I said, look, if you're going to get a car, you've got kids, get something a, a bit better than that. So let's look at, you know, he said, oh, great. And started looking at cars for, like, twenty, thirty thousand dollars going, Woo, steady up, let's just bring it back down a bit, you know. But I think the car was about eleven eleven grand, so I gave him some money for the eleven grand and then um for the car and then it was like the payments happened for a little while and they just stopped. And I said, Look, you know what, you uh you know you gotta keep paying this money back. So I'm having some hard times at the moment. I said, Well, okay, look, when you can, just pay me back. And uh, you know, a couple of years went past and then um I was with them and we were going to uh to their car. You know, and uh, next minute, beep beep, and I'm looking at this car. I'm thinking, whose car is this? And he said, Oh yeah, yeah, I got this the other day. Hey, bought this bought this new car. I said, Where's the old one that you I gave you the money for? Oh, I I, I sold that. Hey, and he quickly just drove off, and I went, uh, Hang on. So then I've called him. I'm going, um, it's awkward, you know. I'm going, it? I'm going, uh, you know that you still owe me like about nine thousand dollars. No, I don't. I said, yeah, you do. He said, but I don't have that car anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> How good? That's great. You know, I mean, that's so good. I that almost said, you know what? That's so good. I'm going to yeah, exactly. let you. I said, no, but I can't. So that's oh, so funny. He said, no, you actually, you better, you better pay that money back. Yeah. yeah. Well, before you buy a new car, yeah. <laughs> I would have thought, if you've sold the old car, at yeah. least give us a chunk of that. That's right. I'll, I'll tell you one, because it's not on the same scale, but I think you'll enjoy it, which was I once... Uh, so, I, I've got a really positive story, which yep. is because generally when I lend someone money these days, I lend it on the principle that I, if I'm not comfortable to never see it again, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lend it to you. Yep. Because I don't want to have a friendship destroyed by the exactly. fact that it's ha- holding yep. over the head. Yep. So... Yep. Um, I had a friend who I lent a bunch of money to early on in life, never expected to get it back, did not care, was very happy to just con- to continue being friends with this person. And, and then out of the blue one day, like 10 years later, mm. in my mailbox was a check for the money, plus they had calculated what the interest would have been over those 10 years. No and when they were finally in a position to pay it back, they'd paid it back, but also with the interest that it would have got in a How nice is account. that? Yeah, wow. Never asked for, never expected, just wow. one day they... You know, when they could, they did. So that's the that's nice. nice story. Yeah. And then another friend. Um, <laughs> Not so nice story. Well, this is just funny, this story yeah. to me. Yeah. They needed, they were in a new relationship. Their new partner was coming to visit them. They did not have a, like a, they only had a single bed. Mm-hmm. And so I lent them the money to buy, you know, a nice new bed for yeah. this, you know, you know, like you know, relationship that they were that they were in, and then about three months later, he he's like come up to me one night and gone, you know, thanks for the bed and whatever, and like done that like the handshake like it was you know, after a cashy after a gig, you know, the real handshake yeah. with the cash in the head, and gave me half the money, and I'm like, I'd prefer. Like almost none of the money, mm. then half the money, and you thinking half is fine. Yeah, I know. That's what, is she going to get me for the other half of the bed? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what, right. how does this work? Far out. Like, I didn't and, buy and, you and half no, a bed, mate. I no, bought you a whole bed. No mention. It's just like, that's it. Text, <laughs> that's mate. it. Yeah, see ya. We're done. Yeah.
Gosh. To this day, I always like, when that guy's name comes up, we always talk about him as being the half a big guy. <laughs> it's just the way people think about things is it's so funny. Like, I thought it was a classic with the car thing. I'm going, I don't have the car, I don't owe you the money. He's yeah. like, what? <laughs> it's great logic. But, oh, look, it, it's, it is funny. You've uh, got to be it, careful. And that's well, thing. speaking of strengths then, if you could get a strength from somebody else. So this is magic wand time. This mm-hmm. isn't, you don't need your 10,000 hours. Yep. This is, I, I can come along and I can give you the capacity and the ability to do something else yep. in life at an expert level. What is it that you would love to be able to do? You know, um, I've been getting into Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. The guy's amazing how high in life he is and how he just you know helps so many people I think for me like I said I'm a giver I like helping people and that's the thing I feel like there's a lot of satisfaction in in when I give to someone I feel great not that I'm going to give $9,000 for someone just to go and take a car and never pay it back but (laughs) so I don't know if I could do something like that um, if you, something that what he does is just help so many lives and uh, you know motivate people to be um, happier, to do things they want to do, to get out of the situations that they're in. And I try to do that with my songs a bit, but I think that's probably where I would you know that would be a an interesting thing to do to travel around and actually um, a motivational speaker maybe. Yeah, to be able to positively change lives. What is yeah. it about his message? Because I'm not. So I'm familiar with who he is. I've seen some of what he does, but I I haven't seen enough to know what the great sort of core principle at the middle of it or what it is about his stuff that is compelling. What I like about him, he's he's like a a psychologist. Mm -hmm. He knows human behavior and he can pick it a mile away. He can pick someone that's got issues, someone that's kind of giving too much away to other people, someone that's being damaged by someone else. He's he's across it um, so well. So I mean, and if you know that stuff, then you know what's good for you, and um, you know you love yourself more. That's the thing uh, I spoke to you about earlier before we started mm-hmm. talking here. Um, you know when you when you love yourself, you know what's right for you, and it doesn't matter um, what anyone says to you. Because you'll know what's what's good for you, you know. Like I said before, you if someone says you look terrible in that blue shirt, you know, and if you don't love yourself fully, I'm glad you changed it to blue shirt because <laughs> I was getting paranoid about. My I know. I didn't, yeah, <laughs> after last time, I was like, "Does he really think this jacket looks bad?" I mean, this well, is Will, the- Will's, Will's wearing a green shirt, everyone, and I did say <laughs> this before. Let's go back to let's use you as an example. So, Will, you know, if someone says, "Look, that green shirt, you look terrible in that green shirt. You look yeah. really bad," yeah. and if you don't love yourself fully. You know, you will go, you'll doubt yourself. You go, oh, gee, I do. I, I look really bad. And it's just manipulation. Never wear so this I'm, again because bloody Pete Murray yeah, I know. <laughs> I do like the hoodie. Keep the hoodie parts. But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but if you love yourself fully and you know what's good for you, um, then you, you will never be upset by what anyone says to you. And you'll never be damaged by how anyone tries to manipulate you. And that's the thing I think for him. He's across it so quick when if you watch anything that he does, that's what impresses me. He knows straight away personalities and uh, and how that works. And you know, I think we've a lot of people have been affected by um, people in our lives with some way, in some way that someone who is tries to take too much from you, who who is manipulative towards you, who who tries to rip you off. Those things. So if you're aware of that stuff, then it, it won't happen to you. And I think that's the thing for me. I get from him, and and he picks it up very quickly. Okay. Final question, Pete. Thanks so much for your time today, mate. It's been a real pleasure. Um, 
Oh, by the way, we're going to release this to coincide with the next single that's released, I believe. Oh, which we the, are too. That's right. Uh, yep. If we never dance again. And so, new album? EP. EP. Okay. Yeah. So, the album thing's kind of... Doesn't matter anymore. No. Right? I, mean, I think with the way that the uh, streaming stuff works now, you, yeah. you've got to have a song coming out every eight weeks so they can get the maximum benefit from it. So, we're going to do an EP in October and another EP's 90% done and that'll come out next year sometime probably early next year sometime okay so um, I'll do a proper plug in the intro sure. and all that sort of stuff anyway but yep. uh, the final question this is a standard question I have a time machine I don't by the way don't yep. but okay, for, the, for the purposes of this question yep. I have a time machine wouldn't it be I, great to have a time a real time machine I'd I mean a real time machine yeah. uh, round trip you get a round trip mm -hmm. you can go back to any time in your life or any time in history yep observe or change something mm -hmm. uh, and this is you don't need to do something you know for the world you don't have to go back and kill yep. Hitler you don't have to do any of these sort of things <laughs> this is purely for your own indulgence yep. is there a time in your life that you would like to go back to or is there a time in history that you would like to go back to what would you do with your trip on the time machine I uh, look straight away I'd go back and, and um, see my dad you know and I think uh, tell him all the things that you wanted to say that you never got the chance to say uh, and just hang out. You know, when I was turning 18, we had... I turned 18 two months before he died, so we had a, a, a night out uh, with mum and dad and it was, I had a, uh, a couple of whiskeys with him and it was the first time I'd actually had a drink with my dad and started to get to know him as a mate and after that, I, I never got the chance. So that's the thing for me. I'd like to go back and see dad and just hang out and be a mate with him. Thanks, mate. This has been brilliant. Thanks, mate.